Hello, welcome to the Pretty Deadly Podcast. I'm Susie Colick, the creator of Pretty Deadly Self-Defense, a self-empowerment program through self-defense. I'm a storyteller, a violent crime survivor, and a martial artist. I've used these experiences to develop a program that's tailored for the way women actually learn, the things we actually face, and that's actually fun. Well, I think it's fun. We do too. These are some of our Pretty Deadly Self-Defense Certified Trainers. Hi, I'm Serena. Hi, I'm Shelby. And I'm Marilise. They're in LA, and I'm in Berlin. And there are a lot of miles between us. So what do you do if there isn't a Pretty Deadly Self-Defense course near you? Well, we put some basic techniques in an app. Which you can download from our website, prettydeadlyselfdefense.com. But we thought it would also be a good idea to take some of the self-defense questions we're most frequently asked and put it in the podcast. Welcome to the Pretty Deadly Self-Defense Podcast. Welcome to episode 60. This week we're talking about what to do when someone is touching you in a crowded space like a metro or an event. Um, I know I've run into this a few times where I've gotten groped on the leaving the subway or, you know, there's a, a tightly crowded avenue or, you know, place where you are in, maybe it's an event or something and everybody's tightly packed in together um, and you get accosted in some way. How do you handle those situations? Because there's not a lot of space to, you know, usually we say make space, but there's not a lot of space to be had. And um, you could hit other people if you tried to defend yourself or, you know, so I know this is something that I was, I'm always looking more into to try and figure out what are the best avenues to defend yourself while still taking in these constraints. Before we dive into this topic a little deeper, I just want to remind everyone that this is the entire theme of Pretty Deadly Level 2. So, and we do have an entire class about being on a, on a subway. The, the, but also mostly like, what are the social costs? You know, I mean, you can't in a, in a, crowded events, you know, a concert, a subway, maybe you don't have the space to turn around and like punch someone in the nose, but also you shouldn't, you know, there are social costs to that. And there's also responsibilities, et cetera, et cetera. So what do you do? Um, I recommend stepping on people's feet, whether that's actually the person who's groping you or not, doesn't really matter. That does mean that an innocent person may have their toes stepped on and that kind of sucks. But especially on a subway or in any place where it's really crowded, it's pretty normal to get your toes stepped on. But it's disruptive. And that's what I'm interested in. How do you disrupt the situation so that things can shift around? You can shift away from that person or they're at least disrupted long enough to stop the behavior. So that's usually my first, uh, my first piece of advice about that is, and you can always say like, oh, I'm so, whoever's complaining, ow, you know, I'm sorry, you know, it's crowded. Oops, I didn't mean it. It doesn't matter. The point is, is that you've gotten it to stop. If it's a really, really, I've been on trains like in New York where it's super, super crowded and you're really, really packed and you can't, you don't necessarily know who's groping you. You know, you, it's hard to tell sometimes, like there's so many people packed in, you feel somebody's hand on your ass, but you don't know who that hand belongs to actually. So stepping on anybody's foot just to disrupt the situation and create a little bit of space is usually enough 
to get that person to stop. You can always grab that hand while you're making that um, kind of distraction and take it off of yourself as well. So they understand, like, I know you're doing this and I want you to stop it. Thoughts with that. Um, <laughs> one was a question. One's an actual thought. Um, so I guess I'll start with the thought. The thought I have is if you do something like that, where you grab them and you look them in the eye, do you give them any sense of satisfaction because it's a sense of acknowledging what they've done? Like I one time was in downtown LA standing outside of a target with a friend and this guy walks by and he just grabs my butt. And I mean, I'm standing with a guy friend, so it's not even like it's a bunch of girls and he just chose me out of the bunch. It was just me and this guy. And he moved so fast. I didn't get to do anything. And then he gets past me so I can see him. And he turns around, we make eye contact and he smirks because I've given him the acknowledgement that I wasn't able to do anything, which then goes into my question of in that scenario where it's, you get groped, but, and there's no room to do anything, but it's so fast. What can you do? It's, Well, I, I, I want to back up for a second about that, about this guy who smirked, you know, or, or do they get satisfaction out of, no, out of knowing that you know? And I would say no, in the sense that, you know, maybe there's an added satisfaction, but I would ultimately say they don't care. They're, they're smirking, like that guy's smirking at you, not because it's like, you know, haha, you know that I did this and you can't do anything about it. It's just a matter of like, yep, I did it. What are you going to do? So it's not the, so I'm trying to make that distinction. It's not so much being satisfied that you're aware, but that it was him because the satisfaction is that he's already done something and gotten away with it. So I would say turning around and looking someone in their eyes is to acknowledge them or not acknowledge them is kind of neither here nor there. Um, because we don't know. There are some people who they want that acknowledgement. Some people want that acknowledgement because they have some weird kind of masochistic thing. And I think that's an important brief sidetrack I want to make that sometimes when, when, people make a violation, a physical violation against you, what they really want is the punishment. So, and that's happened to me as well, where someone puts their hand on my knee at a bar or something. What they really want is for me to get angry and take it off. You know, they, they get off on the punishment more than anything else. And so if I sense that that's what's happening, I don't give them the punishment. I just brush the hand off. It's hard to tell what that situation might be in a really, really crowded place because we may not know who that hand belongs to. However, I would say it doesn't really matter in a lot of ways. What matters is is getting that 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 hand off of you. Does that answer your question? Answers one of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other one is kind of, I think. More if it's really fast. So in Shelby's example, it sounded more like somebody's hands reaching through and they're actively groping you for an extended period. So you have time to react even if there's not space. And I'm wondering if in an inverse situation where you don't have the time and the space is irrelevant, you either you do have your space or you don't have your space. 
Um, uh-huh. If it's just someone reaches their hand and grabs your breast and then it's gone. Yeah. Then what can you do? Well, there's nothing you can do because it's over. It's finished. You know, I mean, you have a choice. You can go chase them down and be like, what the hell? You know, or you can understand that, you know, this happens and it's horrible and it shouldn't happen, but it does happen. But it's finished. You know, you can try and prevent it. You can try and disrupt it if you're faster than the other guy. But once it's done, it's done. Well, that happened to me when I was leaving the subway, like doors open and we're all exiting. And I think I walked in front of this. Like, I know I walked in front of this person, but I think it's the one who did it. But like, they grabbed my pussy um, and just like, boom, touch and done. And by the time I turned around, I was like, okay, I think it's this old guy but what am I going to do? Punch an old guy in the face? Like, you know, and I was just, first of all, it was kind of shocking because I <laughs> did not expect it. Cause it's shocking. Yeah. And then I think I just ended up going straight to the dojo and complaining to you guys about it. Um, but like, you know, it was just like, I don't know for sure who did it. It's over and nobody else saw it. So if anybody else sees me just turn around and confront this old guy, like who may or may not have done it, he'll just deny it. And then I'll look like, you know, an, a, the aggressor in that situation. But like, at the end of the day, it was over, like Susie said, and there was, you know, the problem is done. Right. And that's the whole thing is, I mean, when there are people who behave this way, that's what they're doing. They're taking advantage of the crowd, of the quickness, of the the fact that it's really hard to figure out who it is that, who, who did this, you know, and sometimes even taking advantage of their age, you know, or some other physical characteristic that they have. You know, they're using a lot, they're, I mean, these are the creeps. They're the ones who are kind of moving through normal society, looking like everybody else, but taking advantage of social constructs and norms, crowds, whatever it is, to get away with as much as they possibly can. You know, in the case of you, Marilise, it's grabbing your ass. In the case of yeah. Shub, it's, <laughs> so I want to make a coming and going <laughs> joke that it, I sh- feel like I shouldn't. <laughs> oh. <laughs> kind of in well, bad taste then but maybe so we don't have like a 10 um, minute episode is there like advice we can give to avoid the circumstances or how to handle it emotionally because when that kind of stuff happens it's not like it's, handle- you just brush it off and move on with your life i mean we're, my situation is significantly less embarrassing than shelby's but i still had probably about a week of just discomfort and wondering if i should go out if i should change what i'm wearing it Right. Yeah, it's gross. It's, it's really gross. What I so I liken this to being spit on by strangers, which has happened to me. I feel like every episode, I'm like, <laughs> and this happens to me. This did happen. This has happened to me twice. Once it happened to me from a bunch of Roma women who were like angry because I knew that they weren't really deaf and they were trying to get me to sign their deaf. Um, thing and pick my pockets. And I said something to them because I lived in the neighborhood. And as I walked away, they spit on my back. And I was kind of annoyed, but at the same time, I was like, well, that's gross. And this is pre-corona <laughs> times, by the way. Um, and I was like, well, that's kind of gross, but I also, it's kind of what I expect. I know that they're pissed off that I'm like blowing their cover. Um, so I don't take it personally. 
The second time was also when I was living in Paris and I was walking down the street and I saw this really, really drunk guy coming towards me. It's the middle of the day, but he was just drunk, weaving all over the sidewalk and, and angry about something. And I had this sense, I was like, this man is going to spit on me. I just know it. And sure enough, he <laughs> did. And, and it's it sort of, it was like one of those things where it's like, you know, it's coming, but there's nothing you can do to stop it. It's just going to happen. And there's, there's no, there's no way out. And it upset me. And it, I kind of, I actually burst into tears. You know, I like held it together until I got back to my apartment and then I burst into tears because it felt like a violation and it felt personal, but it wasn't. That guy was so drunk. He had, I've never seen him before in my life. He had never seen me before in my, in his life. He was angry. He was, I don't know what his problem was. He wanted to spit on a human being and I happened to be there. And this is very similar to the situations that you guys have experienced, even though there is the, the added um, aspect of it being a physical and a sexual violation, but it's actually not personal. That person is going to do that to whoever happens to be in their range. You just happen to be in their range. So if you can psychologically in the aftermath, look at it more like getting spit on by a stranger or what I've talked about in Pretty Deadly, um, which might be more palatable, is getting shit on by a bird. That's great. That's basically what it is. <laughs> well, right. It might not be more palatable, but the thing is, is the bird doesn't know, the bird is not doing it on, it's not targeting you. You know, it's, it just happens to release and you happen to be underneath. You know, and that's basically what's happening in these scenarios is it's not targeting you as a human being. And this is one of the things that's so hard for us, I think, on any level of violation to deal with is that what we're really facing is the fact that for that person that does that, we are not human. We are not individuals. We are not unique. We are not even humans. We're nothing. We just happen to be, we're the same thing as like a brick wall that they need, that they touch. You know, you as an individual to that person who makes that violation, you don't matter. And that's a really, really hard thing to, to kind of stomach and process and accept. But just in the same way that you don't matter, I guarantee you do not matter to the birds. They don't care about you. Unless you feed them peanuts like I do with the crows. But generally, they don't care about you. The crows will shit on me anyway because they don't care about me that much. So it's, uh, it's, and it's not personal. And with these people, it's not personal. And that doesn't make it okay. And it doesn't take away the violation that you feel. But it can help us deal with the emotional aftermath of it. If we can look at it as, you know, it's the same thing as just a, you know, a bird shot on my shoulder or my head. It's gross. It's disgusting. Oh, well. I'm going to avoid standing under trees for a while. Does that help a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to come up with questions. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's, 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 the thing is, is there's, a, there's a lot of, um, 
you know, you, you said this a while ago, Serena, you know, we, as humans, we do have a capacity for violence. You know, it would be great to live in a world where none of these things happen. And I don't think that that even has to do with patriarchy. I think it's just, you know, humans are animals who do some disgusting stuff. Yeah. And I think, honestly, I think the depersonalization thing is something with mm-hmm. all acts of violence. You're just in the path. It, it has it has very little to do with you as a person. It has most to do with the fact that you were there. Exactly. And I know Marilise was like, what could I have done differently? Well, what are you going to do? Not stand on a corner right. ever again? Like, and you know, I had the same thought of when I was groped, it was like, Oh, well I shouldn't have walked in front of that man. And, you know, logically I'm like, well, how could I have avoided that? We were exiting the Metro, you know, like, am I never going to take the Metro again? No, because that's my daily commute. You know, um, there's, it doesn't matter. You know, obviously we all know it doesn't matter what you wear, but like it really, you would have to modify your behavior so you never come into contact with another human being and you're never an arm's length away from a human being because that's all they need. So, like, and even then, what you wear doesn't always draw people in. Right. Like, you could wear the bag, you could literally wear a garbage sack and someone would still find you sexually appealing and, and try you something. Were with a guy, too. I mean, that's usually one of the things that people are like deterring from is approaching a woman who's with a man. But that's actually, but that's actually what that guy was doing. That guy was like, that guy was testing for himself how good he thinks he yeah. is. That he can mm-hmm. get away with it. Yeah, now. it's challenge. He thought it was it's my challenge, and, and that he was stealing that guy's girl and doing something. Yes, and that's another really important thing to think about in in that sense, and and also in the sense of of rape in general. Sexual violation, sexual violence, and rape, which, which in my theory, so we can't talk about this in this episode because we'll go on forever, but in my theory, even rape is actually an act against other men that we're not, that we, we don't even come into the equation there except as an intermediary. That's a topic for another episode, episode ladies. <laughs> Pretty Deadly Self-Defense is a self-defense program based in Berlin, but with coaches and trainers in a growing number of cities in Europe and around the world. If you want to join us just to take a course or to become a coach, a trainer, or even offer Pretty Deadly in your school or studio, let us know through our website at prettydeadlyselfdefense.com or find us through our app. Just search for Pretty Deadly Self-Defense in your favorite app store and download for free. And remember that all of our paid programs fund our volunteer work. So when you empower yourself, you're actually empowering another woman, too. Thanks for being here. I'm Susie Colick, and you've been listening to the Pretty Deadly Podcast. See you next week.